We're in the fourth week of our study through the book of Mark, a sermon series that are titled Servant King. It's a study in the book of Mark, and so we might not be going line by line in, in every single chapter, but, um, but we will be doing a, an in-depth teaching uh, on, on the text in this book. I titled this message, Greater is He, and I know that many of you are probably finishing that sentence in your mind, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But how many of you know that God is just greater? He's just greater. You know, I, um, I enjoy this show uh, called Undercover Boss. Any of you ever watched that show? Um, it's, it's, if you haven't watched this, it's about you know, owners of company or presidents or CEOs of these major organizations or companies exchanging their high-profile jobs and their, uh, their fancy cars and nice homes and private jets and $1,000 suits for an opportunity to work on the front lines of their company undercover for a week. They work with employees that, that make it happen in their company day in and day out. And here's the key. These employees can have no idea who they are. And they do that because this way they can get a real, clear, firsthand, totally unfiltered perspective on how their company is being ran so they can make changes uh, that might increase profitability, maybe customer service. Uh, maybe employee satisfaction, all those things. If their cover is blown prematurely, they won't be able to successfully complete this assignment. And then at the end of the week, what happens is they reveal their identity to the employees that they work with, and they also reveal their findings in the company. And I gotta tell you, I've watched episode after episode of this, and, and, and the majority of the time, the result is the same, that both the CEO and the employees who work for them have their lives dramatically changed forever as a result of the encounter. These CEOs set out to discover things about their company that they need to change, but what happens is they end up discovering things about themselves. Before the show is over, often you find the CEO you know, off to the side, you know, behind the, uh, you know, a petition or something, and he's just weeping because of what he's found out. Discovered by the people that, from the, about the people that he works with. Often you also find employees weeping, and the owners or CEOs of these companies weeping in front of the employees as they listen to their stories. And I got to tell you, man, if you've watched this show ever without crying, something doesn't matter with you. <laughs> you need Jesus. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, amazing, amazing show. I love Undercover Boss because it reminds me of the story of Jesus in Scripture. I'm reminded of of Jesus when, when John writes in John chapter 1, verse 10 and then 14, that Jesus was in the world, the world was made by him, but the world didn't even know him. 
He goes on to say that the Word, Jesus Christ, is the Word. The Word became flesh, and he, he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. I love Undercover Boss because I love seeing how two people from totally different ends of the socioeconomic spectrum can impact each other's lives, change each other's lives. When Jesus encountered people, their lives were changed forever. And listen, Scripture indicates that these, these encounters also changed Jesus as well. Did you know that? He was changed. The writer in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 7, says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication, and he often wept openly before his Father. Because although he was a son, he had to learn obedience through his time here, through the things that he suffered. Sometimes after seeing the circumstances, hearing the story, at the risk of blowing his cover, the boss just, he makes changes on the spot to what's going on in his company. You know, I, I thought about maybe not using examples, but but I see so many parallels in the scripture. I got to tell you this one example. So I was watching one episode, and it reminded me of the woman at the well. Because the CEO of this company, Sheldon Yellen, that, that's a name for you, isn't it? Sheldon Yellen? But he was out in the field with one of his water techs, and he had to crawl. He, this company is a restoration company, by the way. They do residential and large commercial restoration projects. Hurricane Katrina, they were the number one, there was a number one restoration company to restore houses and commercial properties uh, in New Orleans when that happened. So this CEO, he's crawling under this, this house, and, and the, the, uh, the, the crawl space is so low that he's having a tough time getting underneath, and he comes out, and he's all dirty, and, and so now he's talking with the, with the young lady. Her name is Amy, and, um, and he says, Amy says, she says, so how long have you been doing this? She says, I've been doing it for like two years. She says, I love this company. She said, but I, I just got to tell you, man, you know, the company put a hiring freeze on and they, they froze our wages. And so I've gotten two promotions and, um, and, and I haven't gotten a pay increase as a result of the promotions. And she said, she said this, she said, I truly believe that if corporate would trip and stumble over me that they still wouldn't know who I was. And and I tell you, man, it was a, a, this guy, he, Sheldon, he just begins peeling stuff off. He starts crying. He starts peeling this stuff off. He says, listen, man, I just got to tell you, my name is Sheldon Yellen, and you're going to get the raise that you've been seeking. I'm going to make this change on the spot. And so I'm reminded the woman at the well because, because Jesus goes to the well. It's about noon, and he's sitting at the well, and this woman who had all these needs walks up to him. She's just, he, he just starts pulling things out of her. And then it, the, the conversation just gets to the point to where, to where Jesus, I, I could just see, see Jesus going, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or not, but here, let me just tell you something. You, you've been saying that when Messiah comes, he's going to set everything in order. Let me tell you something. I am Messiah. The woman drops everything, runs into the village, and turns the whole town upside down. Isn't that what the Bible says? 
So sometimes at the risk of, of, of blowing their cover, the boss makes changes on the spot because he has the power to do it. Mark chapter 16, Jesus tells us that all authority, all power has been given to me both in heaven and in earth. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, no matter what your circumstance is, no matter what your challenge is, no matter what you're facing in this life, I have the power to change it. Jesus Christ is greater than any challenge that we can face in this life. So from our text today, I want to raise three examples of the greatness of Jesus. And I know this metaphor breaks down, you know, at some point, because we're talking about the only begotten Son of God coming to redeem all of humanity versus undercover boss. But, be, but bear with me with the parallels here. I know it breaks down at some point. But just like undercover boss, Jesus steps into our stories. He steps into our pain. And he shows us that no matter what challenges we face, whether they're internal or external challenges, whether they're physical or spiritual challenges, in Christ we can triumph over them because Jesus Christ is greater than them all. Here's my first point. Jesus is greater than our religious traditions. Here's a statement. We can't allow ourselves to be defined by our religious traditions. We cannot allow ourselves to be defined by our religious traditions. From our text here, verse 21 of Mark chapter 1, are you there? Verse 21 of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. You guys there? Because I'm not going to put it on the screen. You know I like to hear you turn the pages so that we can be turning and learning. When you have a say amen, I like it. And when they, they being the disciples, went into Capernaum, they were in Galilee, shot up to Capernaum, and immediately, I told you Mark loves that word immediately. It means with a sense of urgency, like right now, he says, on the Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue and was teaching. And they, the Jews, were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Listen, Jesus didn't allow tradition to define him. We can't allow ourselves to be defined by tradition either. And here's what I want you to hear. When Jesus stepped into humanity, he didn't step in with the intent of breaking the law. He didn't break the law. Rather, he said, I come to fulfill the law. So he didn't go around breaking the law, but Jesus did go around breaking up human tradition. Hmm. He wasn't going to be defined by tradition. You see, the Jews, they were concerned about the tradition of keeping the Sabbath. Jesus didn't see it that way. Jesus says, listen, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. It's the other way around. He tells us that in Mark chapter 27, Mark chapter 22, verse 27 and 28. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. You're so busy trying to keep the customs and the traditions of the Sabbath. Let me tell you something. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, and I am not bound by your tradition. 
Here's something else. It was tradition for, for the Jews to sit down in the synagogue, which, by the way, a synagogue was much like our church service here today. A synagogue was a place of worship where there, there was worship, there was reading of scripture, there was fellowship. A synagogue could, could, be, um, could be established by ten men who were married that had to have Jewish descent, and they, they could come together and they could establish this place of worship. So that's where Jesus was. And it was the tradition of the Jews to sit down and hear the reading of the scriptures by the scribes. And I love what the scripture says here. It says they were amazed by, by his reading of the scripture because he, he read the scripture with such authority, different from the scribes. Here's the difference. The scribes would get their authority by other renowned scribes who would read the scripture, and then they would read the scripture, and they would quote the scribe that was renowned, kind of like name-dropping, right, in order to have integrity in the scriptures when they read them. You guys following that? So the scribes drew their authority not from the scripture itself, but from other scribes who read the scripture. They were passing on information. Jesus wasn't reading uh, the, the scriptures looking for authority from any other place except for his father. He was the authority of scripture. And so when he spoke scripture, when he read scripture, he read it with the confidence that comes from someone who embodied the scripture. He wasn't teaching what he heard. He wasn't teaching what he had learned. Jesus was teaching the word. He was the word incarnate. He embodied what he taught. And so verse 2 tells us that they were astonished at his teaching. The word astonished here means overwhelmed. It means they were speechless. They heard him, they heard him speak and and teaching, and they were speechless. He taught as one with authority, not one of the scribes. But listen, the people were so rooted in their routine, so rooted in their day-to-day -day tradition, that here is Messiah. Here is God incarnate. Here's the word that was made flesh dwelling amongst us, standing right there in their midst, and they couldn't see him. Do you know Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, your, your traditions will make the word of God ineffective. When you're bound by your own traditions and routines and, and rituals and ways of doing things, it'll make the word of God, even the very word of God, ineffective in your life. Traditions. So let me ask you. Are you challenged by your own religious traditions today? How are religious traditions getting in the way of you seeing Jesus for yourself? And see, here's the idea from this text. When it comes to Sabbath, Tim said it earlier, he was preaching my message. Listen, it, we don't just go to church, Jesus doesn't want us to just go to church. God doesn't want us to just go.
go to church. He wants us to be the church. When it comes to Scripture, it, it's not about just reading Scripture and finding time in your ritual and routine and tradition to, to read the Scripture. It's about embodying and living the Scripture just like Jesus did. Hmm. Don't allow your religious tradition or ritual to define who you are because Jesus Christ in you is greater than tradition. My second point is Jesus is greater than the uncleanliness around us. Here's the statement. God wants the world around us to recognize his holiness in us. Let's pick it up in verse 23. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Mark likes that word. There was in the, their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned amongst themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits that they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus is greater than the uncleanliness around us. I know who you are, Holy One of God. Let me define holiness for you, because I think it's important in this text. Holiness means uncommon. It means pure, clean. The opposite of, of, of holiness is uncleanliness. Don't miss this. When we live godly lives, the uncleanliness around us should stand out. We should recognize it, and it should recognize us. I'm struck by several things in these six verses. Here's the first thing. First of all, nothing unclean was supposed to enter the synagogue. So how did this unclean thing get in the midst of sanctified folk, and they didn't even see it? Hmm. The scripture makes the distinction between the man and the unclean spirit in this, in this text. Listen, I'm convinced that the unseen spirit's job is to stir up commotion. The thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. So the unclean spirits, their, their job is to go around stirring up commotion and then if we're not careful, if we don't draw the distinction between the, the human and the spirit, the spirit will stir up stuff. He'll leave and go to his next assignment, and we're still focused on the person. And the spirit gets away scot-free. 
You guys understand what I'm saying? Any of you ever seen a, a demon spirit manifest? Man, I, the church I grew up in, man, the Church of God in Christ. I need to take you to a Kojic service one day. That's what, that's what, man, you talk about the power of God coming in. I've seen some things. I've watched the presence of God descend so heavily on the congregation there that supernatural things started happening. And, and, and constantly demonic spirits that would find their way into the, temp, into the church would begin to manifest. I remember this one night, this sweet woman, I would mention her name, but some of you might know her. Real nice, high-pitched voice, power of God descended, demonic, the demon manifested, and she started talking like this. I'll tear this place up. And what happened was, was, was the people that were in there took authority over that spirit, and once the spirit was cast out, they ministered to the needs of the person. You see, you find Jesus doing that time and again. And here's the point. Don't get so focused on the influence of the demonic presence in a person's life that you lose focus on the fact that it's sometimes just a demon spirit. Speak to that demon, cast it out, and then minister to the person. You guys with me? Okay. That's good teaching, Pastor. Thank you. Here's the next thing I, that, I, that I, I got from this. It struck me from this passage. It says, the unclean spirit recognizes Jesus. I know who you are. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us before your time? You're the Holy One of God. Jesus tells the demon spirit to shut up. Yeah, he does. He tells them to shut up. And here's why. I'll give you some. I, this is why I think. Jesus didn't need a demon spirit trying to give him credibility. He didn't need a demon spirit speaking for him. And Jesus had nothing in common with this unclean spirit. So he didn't need this unclean spirit testifying that he was the Lord. You know, the devil knows God, too. I'll tell you something else. I, re, I believe that, that, that Jesus, why Jesus shut the demon up, because the demon was going to blow his cover. Jesus wasn't ready to reveal himself yet. And this demonic spirit was trying to blow his cover. The demon spirit recognized him. Here's the second thing that struck me. The fourth thing that struck me. The people don't even recognize him, his own people. The demon spirit recognizes him, but his own people don't recognize him. As a matter of fact, they say this. They see him as someone who has authority over the scripture and teaches a new teaching. This is not new. This is the same teaching that they have been taught their entire life. The difference was that the teacher was different. 
Hmm. And they don't even recognize him. Jesus Christ in us is greater than the unclean things around us. God wants the world around us to recognize his holiness in us. When we show up somewhere, family, it should be obvious that we're different from the world, that we're in common, that we're unique. We're called to be different, to stand out from the world. We're called to be uncommon. I have a question for you. Who is Jesus to you? Is he the Holy One of Israel that that indwells you, or is he just a teacher? Is Is he the incarnate Son of God, or is he just someone good to read about? Who is he to you? Here's another question. When people are in your presence, can they recognize the holiness of Christ in you? My third and final point. Jesus is greater than all physical and spiritual disease. And here's a statement that goes with that. The cure of this, for this world is the power of Christ in us. Let's pick up verse 29. And by the way, this is a little change in scenery here for Jesus, because he was in the synagogue now, now he's taken off, and he's going to Peter's crib to kick it for a while. That means he was going to Peter's house to, like, have supper. Sometimes I feel like I have to translate. You're welcome. I knew that was for somebody. I knew that was for somebody. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick, all who were sick or oppressed. And that word oppressed meant enslaved by demons. And I, I, I found this really interesting. I, you know, I don't, I don't have time to like parse this out right now, but don't you find it interesting that, that when the demonic spirit manifested in the temple that, that he was an unclean spirit? But when, he, when they manifest outside of the temple in the house, these people were oppressed. Same condition, different wording. Why don't you run your, run your reference on that? It'll be a good Bible study for, for you. Yeah. I just think that's unique. And the whole city gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let me define disease, because Jesus healed all manner of disease. Let me define disease. Disease is a disorder of structure or function in a human being, a plant, or an animal. Disease is a particular quality or habit or disposition regarded as adversely affecting a person or a group of people. Disease. Melissa, you can come to the 
to the keys, if you would. Our world is filled with disease. Disease is a product of sin in this world. Did you know that? Sickness, hatred, wars, idolatry, murder, all these things are, are symptoms, they're disease caused by sin in this world. But that's not all. About 30-some years ago, medical science proved to us that alcoholism is a disease. That drug addiction is a disease. That pornography is a disease. Because disease is about our brains being literally altered chemically. And the result of that reordering is damage. The result of that reordering is that the brain and our bodies are out of order from their intended function. So it is with our spirit. So it is with our physical bodies. Disease is what Jesus came to change and make right. We live in a world that's rampant with disease, but I have news for you, family. Jesus Christ is greater than all physical and spiritual disease. The antidote for disease in this world is Jesus Christ in you. Paul says it this way in first or in in Kron, or, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, he says, you are the cure for the world. In so many words, the world needs you to be. Christ is in you, and he's the hope of glory. You are the hope of this world, Christ in you. That's the point. So if you're here today, I want to challenge you by asking you these three questions. What are you wrestling with today? Are you wrestling with tradition? Are you wrestling with being defined by your routine or your tradition? Are you wrestling with living holy in an unclean world? That's what God has called us to. Or maybe you're here and you're struggling with oppression, and you're enslaved to disease. No matter what you're wrestling with, Jesus Christ is greater than that. And he has the power to change you right now. He wants to give you a new life, and he wants to give you victory in the midst of your challenges. He has the power to change. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to I give you an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart.
Jesus Christ in you, if you're a follower of Jesus, gives you power to change because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You've never embraced the gospel. You've never embraced the truth of his saving grace. The truth that he died for you so that you might live eternally with him. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I urge you not to leave today before you do. Now is your time. In several days, we're celebrating a brand new year, but you know tomorrow's not promised to you. Choose life in Christ today. If you're here and I'm talking to you and you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, let me... Just slip your hand up. Nobody's looking at you. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, Pastor, I'm challenged by what the Lord used you to say today. And I need prayer in a specific area of my life. I'm struggling with disease. I'm struggling with tradition. I'm struggling with living a godly life in a world that's filled with uncleanliness. If that's you and you like prayer, just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Will there be another? I see your hand. Put it down. Will you stand with me as we close today? I want to pray for the two of you who, who raised your hand because God knows what you need. He knows what you stand in need of. Father, I thank you that everyone in here professes to know you, that they've been pardoned of their sins because of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. I'm thankful for that. But it's not lost on me, Lord, that we live in a, in a world that's decaying all around us, and it's tough sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ to live in the midst of all this chaos and turmoil and, and still live holy. I'm asking you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that for those who raise their hand today, that you meet them right where they're at and that you supply every single one of their needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So that there's nothing missing, nothing lacking, and that the area that they're wrestling with, they surrender that to you, and when they do, you show them how to live triumphantly. Thank you. Thank you for the expectation that you will do that if we ask. In Jesus' name. And amen.